Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Uh, my name is Rob Darrup. I'm the pastor here at Northminster. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. We made it to chapter 3 now, and in chapter 3 we're going to meet John the Baptist and his proclamation, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. We sing the song Amazing Grace, one of my favorite songs, uh, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And for many of us that have been raised in the church, that song makes great sense. It resonates with us, and it's a deep spiritual song. But something we need to realize is is that many people, even in the church, don't think they need to repent. Most people in our society, the younger generation, are growing up with an understanding of, I'm not a bad person. I'm basically good. And I I get to go to heaven when I die. You know, there's there's simply not not a problem. And the problem then becomes is, if I don't need to repent because I'm a, basically I'm a good person, then I don't need Jesus. John the Baptist's proclamation doesn't make any sense. He's coming to be the king, and the answer is, I don't want him to be the king. I'm fine the way I am. Or maybe we want a king, but we want a king on our terms. A king that meets my requirements and my demands. Otherwise, I'll be fine and dandy as I am. And then a lot of us in the church, we kind of we hear a sermon about repent, and we're, and we're like, oh, that's, that, you know, I'm glad they're hearing that. Uh, I'm glad you're preaching to them today. <laughs> and the reality is, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to say, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me daily. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. It's a daily Thing because we recognize that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. You know, even if I don't think I'm a bad person, I'm, the reality is I've done wrong, and we all have. And you don't need to ask my wife. I'm confessing to you right now. I've, I've done wrong. Don't ask my daughter, by the way. She doesn't know what she's talking about at all. So let's listen to John the Baptist today as though he's speaking to us, to me, to you, and not just the people to whom he was speaking to at the time. And if you have your Bibles, open them up to page 726, Luke chapter 3. As we continue the study of the Gospel of Luke, and the question we're asking is, who is this man? And the Jesus that we're, we're going to read about is a Jesus that's provocative, a Jesus that's going to challenge us, uh, and a Jesus that's going to kind of mess with our world a little bit if we let him. The Roman world in which Jesus was born into is a Roman world based very much on class distinctions. Uh, Roman society had layers and levels, and you knew your role. There were about 600 or so senators who lived in the Roman who lived in Rome, uh, uh, underneath the the emperor Caesar. Uh, uh, Under them, uh, and senators, of course, got to wear certain garb, and and most notably, their togas were allowed to have a purple stripe on them. So when you walk down the street, you could recognize that man's a senator. You know it by his clothing. Under them were equestrians. Equestrians comes from the word for horses. Equestrians are people that owned horses. They were wealthy enough to own a horse. And they were uh, people of status. There was a status symbol. 
you may, some of you might be familiar in the, gospel, in the book of James. It says, uh, suppose a man comes into your assembly wearing fine clothes and a gold ring. That's an equestrian. Remember the equestrian order. Uh, and they're showing favoritism to, to such individuals. Underneath them, of course, were the wealthy individuals who occupied government offices and religious priesthoods, etc. And, and then underneath them were the 98% of everybody else. 98%. They had no hope of actually ever attaining any level of greatness. But even amongst the 98%, there were classes. Uh, the first would be um, those who were citizens of Rome. They weren't rich, they weren't wealthy, they weren't elite, but they were Roman citizens. And there's a number of ways that you could attain Roman citizenship, but becoming a Roman citizen gave you great privileges, uh, especially certain exemptions from certain taxations. Uh, you, you got uh, certain punishments you didn't have to worry about. You, a Roman citizen could never be crucified. You also had certain legal protections. You, you couldn't be beaten or punished without a trial. You see, everybody else, we could just beat them and then we'll put them on trial. But if you're a Roman citizen, you have to go through trial before you can actually be, be beaten. Then there were freedmen. Freedmen don't have the rights of a citizen, but they're not slaves. And they actually had clothes. If you were a freedman, you had a special hat that you would wear, letting everybody know, I'm not a Roman citizen, I'm not a member of the question order, but I'm also not a slave. Your clothes indicate who you are. And then there were the slaves. About 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Conditions varied amongst the slaves, and we don't think about a... You think of American slavery, it's not the way to think when you think of Roman slavery. It's a different world, different system. But they had no rights. They live at the mercy of whoever the head of the household is. Um, they don't have a lot of freedoms, uh, and they're dependent, wholly dependent. And their life is giving honor to everybody above them. Clothes and cars, by the way, are often status symbols in our culture as well. The clothes you wear, the car you drive, can be, not necessarily, a status of, a, a symbol status, a status of, of who you are. We, we have this, by the way, all you have to do is go to, go to the airport. And um, by the way, keep us in prayer. Tomorrow, Gracie, myself, and Courtney will be traveling to our national gathering. Uh, if you're not aware, our denomination that we are a member of is called ECO. Uh, and uh, we have a national gathering with all the churches. We meet once a year. Um, every second year, which would be uh, 2018, which would be this year, we conduct business at our national gathering. So we're going to uh, Houston Monday through Thursday for our national gathering. We're conducting business. And some of you might be aware, but the biggest issue on the business agenda, of course, is the status uh, of, of our creeds. And, and what creeds are we going to adopt as part of our uh, uh, beliefs and confessions? Not on the level of, of that we must adhere to everything in this creed, but on the level of, hey, we get guidance from these creeds. And which ones are we going to adopt? Which ones are we not going to adopt? That will be part of our discussion uh, at, at our national gathering. And I'll give you more information on that uh, later on. But if you go on an airplane, you know how it works. If you're first class, you get to board first. First. I always love getting on a plane and just looking at all those people sitting there going, you know, and, and, and then you walk by them and they're like, you know, aren't you annoyed by all these people pushing and shoving, hitting you with their bags as you, you know, but, but they get to sit on the plane first. They get wider seats. Uh, they get a special line that they get to pass through, of course. They get to have special beverages. They get wider seats. Blankets and pillows are theirs. And by the way, if you ever go on a long flight, right, their seats actually become beds. They have their own personal television. Their seats recline like beds and everything else. I've seen people in those seats. It actually looks pretty cool, but I've never been able to be one of them. 
um, uh, there. And, and by the way, they also have their own bathroom. And there's an announcement that's made, by the way, and that is if you're not in first class, you can't use that bathroom. I, I actually had a, a seat one time, you know, you select your seats, and I, and I, and I saw uh, right behind first class, the first row, and I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll have plenty of leg room because there's nobody in front of me and I'll have plenty of right leg room. So I, I, I ordered that seat, got a window seat. I, was, I always like to have the window seats, and I got on the plane there, and it actually wasn't a very good seat um, because they had a wall between my seat and the first class in front of me, and that wall didn't let me stretch out my legs. Well, I'm not, I'm not short, and sitting on a long flight with my leg, it, it was not comfortable. And I wasn't allowed to recline my seat because behind me was the exit row. And I don't know if you know this, but the seats in front of an exit row are not allowed to recline. So I couldn't recline, I couldn't stretch out my feet, and there's a curtain right there separating me from the people in front of me. If I had to go to the bathroom, I had to go 30 rows behind me to go to the restroom. We have this in our society as well. The Gospel of Luke begins in chapter 3 with this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis and Licinius, the Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's a mouthful. And it reminds us, by the way, that the author of the Gospel of Luke is a doctor. The physician, Luke, and he wants to give you plenty of detail. Bottom line, simply said, these two verses simply say this, God appeared to John the Baptist. But Luke's got to tell us the details. He did it here, 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 when, 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 when. Verse 3. He, being John the Baptist, went out into all the country around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough roads, uh, rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. This is really good news. Uh, John the Baptist, if you're aware of, uh, of who he is, he's kind of a strange, uh, strange individual. Uh, we, we find out from the other Gospels that he, he, he ate locusts, which don't sound very good, by the way, um, but whatever, I don't know, dip them in chocolate, man, I don't know. All right. uh, and, and he dressed himself in, in, in um, um, sackcloth. And he, John the Baptist is dressing like and acting like and eating like a prophet. But that's a strange thing, if you have to understand the context. There hasn't been a prophet for 400 years. 400 years ago, Malachi was prophesying. And since then, there's been silence from God. And now, there's a guy out in the wilderness. And everyone's going to go out and see who this guy is because something strange is happening. He's proclaiming that the king is coming. That we're going to make, uh, make the mountains uh, a flat path and, and, a, and a highway because God is coming back to the land. The fulfillment of all God's promises in the Old Testament scriptures are all happening. And, 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 and he's, he's coming, he's coming. This is good news. And many come out to see him. And including amongst those many were the religious leaders. You see, the religious leaders are kind of wondering, well, what's this guy doing out there? He's not, John the Baptist isn't the first guy to go out in the wilderness and preach. Uh, there's been a number of other individuals do, doing things like this, but typically what these guys are doing is they're getting a rebel band together to go over and take control of Jerusalem. 
Uh, and, and the problem with that, if you're the religious leaders and the people in Jerusalem, is, is every time these people do this, they, you know, they get a rebel band together and they come to Jerusalem and they, they try to kick the Romans out and establish a kingdom, Rome just punishes everybody. Rome makes my life worse and your life. And so the religious leaders are going out to, to John the Baptist to go, okay, who is this guy? What's he preaching? Is this a threat? Is, this a, is Rome going to be worried about this? Because if Rome's going to be worried about this, we're going to stop it right now. Unless we think he really actually could succeed. You see, if, if this John the Baptist guy really is going to preach a rebellion and, and he's going to be successful, and of course that's not what John the Baptist is doing. He's preparing the way for Jesus. But even if this Jesus guy is going to be successful, then great. We'll go out and let them know, here are our terms for you becoming the king in Jerusalem. And if we don't think you're going to succeed, we're going to stop this right now. The gospel is good news. The good news is that the king is coming. It's the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God is, God is coming back to the land, and it's, and it's good news for everybody. The Israelites have been waiting a hundred year, hundreds of years for this. And, and here's the best part of the good news. All one must do to enter his kingdom is repent. That's it. Repent. And you're in. It, it can't get easier. It can't get better than this. There's no, there's no monthly dues. There's, there's no obligations for this. There's no quotas. There's no, it's just repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this is good news for all the people. But all of a sudden, if you read the Gospel of Luke, some, John the Baptist just seems to go, go strange on us. Verse 7. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, which is sons of snakes, offspring of snakes. Now stop for a second. When was the... If you're an Israelite and you're, and you're being called a son of a snake, when do you see snakes in the Bible? In the Garden of Eden. Satan. You're sons of the devil. They're coming out to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he stops them and says, You sons of the devil, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. We got rocks. I don't need you guys. God doesn't need you guys. God can raise up sons from Abraham from these rocks. Who warned you? You're like, John, <laughs> easy, easy, you know, right? Settle down a little bit, you know? I mean, how to build a church with a thousand people. Not about, that's not going to work, John. You don't start your service by saying, you know, you're sons of the devil. That's just, that's what I think. You're all going to go to hell. They're coming out to hear the message, but John the Baptist knows what they're doing. The good news is the gospel, but the problem is this. The gospel is not good news to those who don't think they need a king. To those who don't think they're, they need to repent. To, to those who think that their privilege and status is enough. Do you know who I am? Can't you tell by my clothes? And I guess not by the car, but by the chariot I drive. All right. You should know who I am. It's good enough. And John the Baptist says, no. You see, we're all sinners. We all need to repent. 
One of the problems I mentioned uh, briefly last week was uh, religion. Uh, religions have this notion that there's, that there's a problem, and then they come up with a solution to the problem. And the problem with every other religion out there is the idea is, is, is that we are the solution to the problem. That if we simply do enough of this, we can overcome this. In Buddhism, as I mentioned last week, it's, the problem is, is, is suffering, and the solution is to, to get rid of my desires. But the reality is, I can't. I'm human. Any system that says the problem is our sins or all of our bad deeds, and so you simply do all these good deeds. The problem is, I still do bad ones. And to simply say, I'm a good person. God won't punish me or God won't condemn me because I'm a good person ignores the fact that I've done wrong too. And if I've done wrong too, and God just forgives me because I'm good overall. I mean, I'm really not, I'm not as bad as, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I'm not pointing at any of you, but you know who you are. I'm not that bad. The problem with that is, is God will be ignoring my sins by just letting me in on my good deeds. And to ignore my sins is not justice. It's injustice. As I said last week, a judge can't just walk up and go, you know, I know you committed this crime and robbed all this money, but you've done a good, uh, you've, you've been pretty good. I'm just going to let this one go. No, that's injustice. The Jews replied to Jesus in John chapter 8, Abraham is our father. You see, John the Baptist says, don't say Abraham is our father. You see, what they're saying is, I'm Jewish. Do you know what that means? That means I am a child of, the, of God. I'm the one who's called. Of all the nations in the world, God called Abraham and made us special. I'm privileged. I'm better than everybody else. I'm a child of Abraham. In John chapter 8, Jesus replies to them, if, if Abraham's your father, then do the deeds of Abraham. We see, we're, we're, we're royal blood. So John the Baptist says in verse 9, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked John. Asked, and John answered, Anyone who has two shorts, shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You see, the people that are coming to John the Baptist are the tax collectors and the soldiers. Those are, those are Romans. Uh, the, the soldiers are, the, the, the tax collectors are Jews who work for Rome. I am a child of Abraham. These guys, well, well, that guy was Jewish, but, but he disowned us by working for Rome. That guy's not even Jewish. He's Roman. And you're letting them in? And to the Jewish leaders, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. One of the questions that arises when you read the Gospels carefully, especially if it's the first time you've read, you've read, you read the Gospels, you're like, why do they kill this guy? Why does Jesus get crucified? I mean, I, I, I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and here's what I see. Um, a guy saying, love your neighbor. A guy saying, you know, be kind. 
uh, a guy who raises a dead person to life, a guy who feeds the multitudes, uh, a guy who has compassion on a widow because her son had died and she, he raises her, him, him from the dead, and a, a guy who sees the leper and he heals the leper. And I mean, that looks like a pretty good guy. I mean, I might not like him. I might not agree with him. But why do they kill him? What does Jesus do that causes people to be so upset with him that they crucify him? And ironically, the people that were so upset, the people that have him crucified, are the religious. The religious ones who say, I don't need that kind of a king. I don't need to repent. I don't need a savior. I am a chosen one of God. I'm one of God's children. I'm a descendant of Abraham. How dare you tell me to repent? To which Jesus replies in John 8, 39, If you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Do the deeds of Abraham, which John the Baptist has told us, of course, means if anyone has two shirts, share with the one who has none. If anyone has food, do the same. And you tax collectors, don't, require, don't, don't collect more than what's required. And you soldiers, don't, don't extort pay. So what does this mean for us? Well, number one, it means this. It's not about our worthiness. It's about God who calls us. The good news of the gospel is that God has come. God has come to bring a remedy, to bring a solution, to bring a restoration to his creation. And the solution cannot be us. We are not capable. I'm a sinner and therefore by very nature cannot live a perfect life. And therefore will never be a person that can actually overcome suffering in and of myself. I will never be a person that can overcome my sins because my sins will continue to be there. So God says, I'll enter the story for you. It's not about our worthiness. It's about God who calls. Luke chapter 3 again says, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the good news. If you don't qualify for first class seating, it's okay. If you don't have gold rings and wear a certain toga or a free men cap, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Don't need to worry about. But number two, it's only good news for those who are willing to repent. It's only good news for those who are willing to repent. Now, let's clarify what this means. Repent is this word we throw around once in a while. It, it, it means to express regret for one's wrongs. It, it's a deep regret, a remorse. A deep grieving. You know, blessed are the ones uh, who, who grieve. And those who mourn, Jesus says. It's a deep grieving for, for what we've done. But it's not just a, an emotion. It's not just an intellectual conviction. Repentance is a complete turning from our sins. Christian repentance, then, is not just expressing... Christian repentance is expressing regret from sin and turning to follow Christ as King and Lord. In other words, the deeds must follow. The religious leader is saying, I'm a child of Abraham. Jesus' answer is, then do the deeds of Abraham. They come to John the Baptist and say, we're children of Abraham. And he's like, God can make these rocks. If you're a child of Abraham, then, then stop stealing from people. Stop abusing people. Start giving compassion to the poor and the needy. Start doing acts of justice. It's a repentance. It's a true confession and turning from sin and then following Christ in full obedience as King of King and Lord of Lords. 
The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this way, and a catechism is a, a way of teaching and training, uh, 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 especially children, by asking questions and then giving answers. Question, what is repentance? Answer, repentance is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of sin, with grief and hatred of his sin, turns from it to God with a full purpose to live in obedience. With grief and hatred of sin, turns from it to God with a full purpose to live in obedience. Imagine you go to the airport and the airlines declare that all seats are first class seats. That everyone can use the restrooms in the front of the plane. Everyone gets to board early. Everyone gets free drinks. Most of us are going to be really excited about that announcement. Who are not going to be excited? The people that are in first class. The people that want the privileges. The person who says, I don't need to repent, is the one who doesn't like the message of Jesus. Because I'm good enough. I'm qualified. In our society, we have a society, that, a younger generation, that this message doesn't make sense to them. Because they don't look at themselves as, as bad. Uh, they don't look at themselves as, as sinners. The, the, the Christian gospel is, is simply that we have sinned. And the message to them in gentleness would be, look, we've all done wrong. Uh, we're not saying that you're a, a wretched, horrible person, that, 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 you're, that you're evil. We're not, we're not saying that you're a dictator who kills thousands and millions of people. We're not saying that you're... But we're simply saying that we've fallen short of God's grace, of God's will. We've done wrong. The person who says that they don't need to repent ultimately simply says, I'm good enough and I don't need a king. The nature of the kingdom of God then is that there's no such thing as privilege when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. But there's also no, such privilege, there's also no privilege inside the kingdom of God either. As members of the church, members of the body of Christ, we don't have first, in cl first class seating. We don't have privilege. Well, okay, tithers here, moderate tithers there, non-tithers, you guys can go in the back by the fireplace. No, we don't make distinctions. We don't have privileges. We don't make privilege distinctions between male and female, between those who deserve and those who don't, because none of us are worthy. A fundamental claim of Christianity is Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As I said at the beginning, it's easy for some of us to listen to this message and go, I'm really glad he's preaching this because I know some people in here that need to hear it. And we don't stop and think about ourselves. I repented years ago. And I, I don't, you know, this is a great message, Pastor. You know, every once in a while you need to get one of those salvation messages. You know, but I, I, I repented years ago. I, I've been serving in this church for years. I've been serving in whatever church for years. I, you know, I, I've paid all my tithes. I've, I've, I've done all my... I'm okay. And then we're reminded. Luke chapter 9. If anyone wishes to be my disciple, to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's not a bad thing to repent again, to be reminded that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And if it's not for the grace of God, there go I. Let's pray. 
Father, as we are beginning to study the Gospel of Luke and coming into the story of this Jesus, we are overwhelmed by this message because, I'll speak for myself, I've so often made it a Sunday school lesson about how you came to save me. And that message may have an element of truth in it, but it's self-centered. Because the message is for me and for my salvation. And we recognize, Lord, already that the story is about God becoming the king. And the first thing that we learn is that you have been faithful to your promises. There may have been 400 years of silence and then you call John the Baptist to make the proclamation that the kingdom of God is coming. It's at hand. Make a highway in the desert because the Lord is coming. And Lord, sometimes we need to be reminded to leave our palace and go out in the wilderness to meet our Savior. To repent. And then to follow this King. This King that we're going to see next week and the weeks beyond that's going to that's going to demand everything from us and yet nothing from us. Everything is taking up our crosses and following you. Everything is selling all that we possess and giving it to the poor and following you. Yet at the same time, you, you require nothing because we're not capable of saving ourselves. So we cast all of our cares upon you and lay on you all of our burdens and you give us rest. Help us, Father, to, to be reminded for those of us that have known you for many, many, many years, to be reminded of what it means to be a child of God's kingdom. And then help us also to have a burden with the gospel of Jesus Christ to take that gospel to the nations in love and in gentleness that they too might see that they need a king a Savior, and help us to follow that Savior wherever you lead us. We thank you for these things now. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.